Welcome, you're listening to the Pastor's Class Podcast. Either you couldn't make it to class last weekend, or you're just wanting a refresher on what was taught. This is the place for you. You can also visit our website at pastorsclass.org for any other information you might need. We really do hope this message blesses you and that you leave here with more knowledge of the Word of God in your heart. And again, thank you for listening. We're going to start a little three-week series uh, in the, building off of really what Stuart taught about last week about being in the middle of a storm. Uh, we're going to talk about living in the middle of a storm and, you know, the reality of life is we're all going to go through storms. I mean, it'd be really great, wouldn't it, if we could all live on the mountaintops and there were no valleys, you know, but it really just, uh, it doesn't work that way, right? God teaches us a lot of things in the valleys. If you look across the Word of God, I mean, you just see person after person and story after story about being in the midst of a storm in a valley. I could talk about Abraham. I could talk about Moses. I could talk literally about Noah being in the middle of a storm, right? I could go talk about King David, about Peter, about Paul. Over and over again, we could talk about being in the middle of a storm. And if your life is like mine, sometimes these storms, they just come in rapid succession, I mean, sometimes I just feel like I'm on a roller coaster. I go from the heights of the world to what sometimes seems like the, the deepest valleys. And sometimes it almost feels like I've got both going on at the same time. Sometimes I'm up on a top of a mountain and the storms are raging all around. Uh, so it feels a little bit like a roller coaster. If I, if I were going to title this, I'd probably say it's in the storm and on the roller coaster. And uh, for me, in my life, I've been very transparent with the class. I've dealt for many years with just deep depression. And sometimes I think that probably it relates to just regrets in life. You know, I think often that that's my thorn. It's just many, many regrets. You know, some of them self-inflicted, sometimes not. Uh, but I've dealt for many, many years with depression. And sometimes I don't know how to explain it. I'll, I'll sometimes wake up in the morning and just can't breathe and, and really just can't feel like I can't even get out of bed. Anybody ever dealt with things like that? It's hard, right? And, uh, you know, there's been people all through history uh, that have dealt with things like this. Um, Winston Churchill dealt with massive amounts of depression. Uh, the great theologian Charles Spurgeon was one that dealt constantly with depression. And, and there was this guy in the 1800s who was so depressed that his friends and family would keep sharp instruments and knives and things away from them. And at one point in time, he wrote, he said that, uh, I'm not sure there's anyone more miserable alive today than me, and I don't think that I'll ever get better. And uh, I've got to give away some eggs, so I'm going to give you a guess of who this was. Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th. That's pretty good right there. You get six eggs from the Olson Chicken Farm. But depression, you know, I read a stat the other day that said that one in five Americans would deal with depression in their life. And I know this uh, through one of the, some of the work that I do, that anxiety today, people being afraid is the number one problem that especially young people, millennials, deal with, is anxiety and also depression. So tonight I want to talk about somebody 
that dealt with both. Fear, anxiety, and depression. Someone you're going to be very familiar with. I want to talk about Elijah. Now, Elijah to me, uh, and I'm going to talk about it in 1 Kings. I'm going to look a little bit at 17 and 18, but stay mainly on the first part of 19. And Elijah to me was, was someone that was very important to my early Christian years. When I was a young believer and I was pouring, and I, did, I started to bring my, my original Bible, and I was pouring through God's Word. I just remember when I came to this story of Elijah, and I thought to myself, that's me. I relate to Elijah, the ups and downs of his life. And I just remember going to Jared and saying, Jared, have you ever read about Elijah? Okay, I had never, just never even read the Bible in my life. So to me, this was so like, wow, I can relate to Elijah. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And Elijah uh, was uh, obviously a legend of the Bible, uh, a great prophet. He lived during a time where uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided. Uh, remember, you had uh, Rehoboam who had, uh, was given the kingdom of Judah. And then on the Israel side, when the divided kingdom was divided after King David and after King Solomon, you had Solomon's son on the one side of Judah. And then on the in Israel side, you had Jeroboam. And he was an evil king. In fact, the Bible says, though, that in the beginning, God said, I'll give you the desires of your heart, Jeroboam, if you'll just follow me. And instead, he decided to follow false idols and false gods. And after that, in the kingdom of Israel, there was just a succession of evil king after evil king after evil king. And the Bible says there were none more evil than Ahab. And Ahab was the king on the scene when uh, Elijah comes on. And if you looked over in, verse, or in chapter 17, it's kind of where the story of Elijah begins. First, first Kings chapter 17. And it's a great story, and it starts here in 17, and, and, and it starts with Elijah going to King Ahab. And when he goes to King Ahab, there in the first verse, it says, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So he goes there, and he just basically tells the king Ahab, there's going to be a drought. And there's not going to be any more rain unless I tell you that there's going to be rain. And then after this, if you read the next few verses, God then sends Elijah out to survive during the drought next to what he called a stream, a brook. So he sends him out to the brook and he says, I want you to live off of this water that's in this brook and I'm going to have the ravens that will bring you food to keep you alive. And once the brook dries up, then I want you to go into this town and I want you to see a widow there in the town. So go over in verse 9 of chapter 17. It says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So now he's went and he's, he's told the king that there's going to be a drought for these number of years until he calls the drought off. He goes out to this stream and then after that he makes his way into this town to go see this widow that's going to feed him. And he meets this widow and he basically asks her for some food and some water. And she says, well, I'll get you the food and the water, but you should know that I have very little flour and I have very little oil to my name. In fact, she says there, looking down in uh, verse 12, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. 
So she, she wasn't in the mindset that this was going to be a long relationship and that she had all this abundance to give to Elijah. She was thinking that her days were numbered probably because of the drought. She had very little food. She had very little flour, very little oil. But Elijah tells her, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of you. And basically, God does. And he multiplies the flour, multiplies the oil. And she has plenty of food throughout the end of this drought. And then, so she's on top, right? She's up on one of those mountains. God's taking care of me. Everything's going great. I've got now plenty of food, plenty of, of oil and flour. And then what happens next? A severe deep valley. In fact, her son dies. So she's now went straight to the bottom. And she's blaming it on Elijah. Now, Elijah's been on mountaintop to mountaintop here. He has a pretty good run going. So he's, he goes and he says, basically, he calls out to God in prayer and he asked God to save her son. So if you look over in verse 22 of 17, it says, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again. So he, here's Elijah. Again, he goes and tells the king, hey, there's going to be a drought. He goes out to the, to the brook, and then after the brook runs dry, he goes in and meets this widow. He multiplies the flour. He multiplies the oil. He helps praise to God to raise her son back to life. So he's seen this child come back to life. I would say that this is mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop. Things are going really well right now for Elijah. So then God sends him back to meet Ahab again in chapter 18. And he goes back to, to meet Ahab. And, and on his way, he meets Obadiah. And some people say this is the same Obadiah that wrote the book in the Bible, Obadiah. We don't know that for sure. But we know that Obadiah was a God-fearing man. And Elijah meets up with him. And when he meets up with him, he says, Listen, I want you to take me to your king, King Ahab. And Obadiah says, Listen, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm not going to take you to my king because if I do, he's going to kill me. Don't you know how much he hates you? And uh, of course, Elijah keeps pleading with him. No, I want you to take me to see your king. And he said, no, no, I'm not going to take you because I'm going to go tell him about you. And then you're going to be gone and you're just going to leave me there. He says, no, today I will see your king. So he takes him to see Ahab again. And when he gets there to see him, if you look over in chapter 18 at verse 17 is where Elijah is now talking to King Ahab, and it says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel was King Ahab's wife. She was evil as well and was a worshiper of Baal. So what basically Elijah's done is he's challenged them to a showdown. He says, I want you to get all your prophets of Baal, all your idol worshipers, and I want you to meet me up on Mount Carmel. And when he gets up there to Mount Carmel, he basically has a challenge that he puts forth to them. He says, listen, we're going to find out really whose God is the real God. So what I want to do is I want you, you to build an altar, okay, and take a bull and cut it into pieces and put it on the altar, but don't light it, okay? We're going to wait and see who can call down fire from their God. And then after you do that, I'll do the same thing. So he lets them go first, and they get up there, and, and they're lighting their fire. And if you look over there in verse 20. 
6, about halfway through, it says they're, they're crying out, O Baal, answer us. Uh, but there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. They, they did like a dance, like a chanting, like a dance around the altar. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, he is thinking about things, or he is maybe relieving himself. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe your God is going to the bathroom. I think Elijah's having fun with this. Or is he on a journey? Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and, and, and cut themselves after their custom and swords and lances until the blood gushed out, of, out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. That's the evening offering, the time of prayer. It's probably around 3 o'clock. Remember we talked about it way back in the beginning part of Acts. Uh, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. So they, nothing happened. They tried everything. They jumped around the fire. They cut themselves. They cried out to their God. And of course, nothing happened. And you would have thought this would have been perfect for Baal which one of his many talents was supposedly of thunder and lightning. So the God of lightning, you would have thought, could surely come down and, get, and start this fire and engulf this, this, uh, this bull that they had cut into pieces. And remember, there's probably 800 to 900 people standing there that are Baal worshipers watching and waiting for this to happen. And then here, obviously, is Elijah. So now it's his turn. So Elijah says, okay, listen, take 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, make an altar, take and put the, the wood there, cut, cut the bull and put it on top of the bull. But I want you to also to, to draw a, a trough around it. I want you to carve a trough around it. And then I want you to take water. I want you to take 12 quarts ultimately or 12 jars of water and I want you to pour it all over the bull. And it says that the water then filled the trough around it. And then if you look down, it says in verse 36, at the time of the offering of the oblation. So at a time when all of the Christians, all of Jerusalem would have been praying is when he calls then. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. I would consider this, if you're Elijah and you're a great prophet, a pretty high mountaintop. I mean, he's up there and he's got this big showdown against these eight or 900 prophets of, of these false gods. And of course, they fail miserably. And then he's able to, to pray and ask God and brings fire down from heaven. I'm, I'm thinking that's a pretty big mountaintop. And then he takes them just to add to it all down to the brook and, 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 and they're all killed. And by God, it says later, by sword. So a pretty big mountaintop. And then later you'll see that, that he also then prays for rain. And rain uh, comes back to the region. And then after this, and this is where I want to talk some, is on in, in chapter 19. You'll see after this, Ahab goes back to Jezebel, his wife, to tell her about what's happened. And that's where we pick up in chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, Elijah was, and he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs in Judah, and left his servant there, even abandoned his servant. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked, the, he asked that he might die, saying, it is, not, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. I mean, what in the world has happened? I mean, Elijah was going from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. I mean, he went from, from confronting King Ahab to praying for a drought to living by the, the water and the stream, being fed by the ravens, to going and multiplying the oil and the flour for the widow, to raising the widow's son to life. He then goes and confronts Ahab again. He goes to the mountain. He calls down fire, destroys all the prophets. And now, because one woman sends a threat by messenger, he's now under a tree by himself trying to commit suicide. I mean, this doesn't add up, right? I mean, this is the same Elijah that James, when he's over talking about the prayers of a, of a righteous man are powerful, this is an example that he gives. He says, remember Elijah when he prayed for that there would be no rain? There wasn't. And then he prayed again that there would be rain and it rained. That's, that's the example. This is the same Elijah that's taken up to heaven without dying. The same Elijah that came back and met Jesus at the transfiguration. I mean, this is a mighty prophet of God. And in one instance, one instance because of one threat. I mean, it's not like an army is there threatening him. This is a messenger that basically sends a threat from the queen. He's now under a tree. He's spiritually, he's physically, he's emotionally exhausted, he's depressed, he's fearful of his life, he's alone, he's self-doubting, he's, he's got some self-pity in there. I mean, this is, I mean, from mountain, mountain, mountain to the deepest of the valleys, wouldn't you say? And just like that, just like that. But God didn't leave him there. I'll pick up there and... Verse 5, it says, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. It was probably like that brownie back there with the cheesecake on it. That's what I'm thinking. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Herob in the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life now to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him, and it said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Return to your, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be the king of Syria, and Jehu to be the, the son of uh, Nimshi to, you shall appoint to be the king over Israel. And Elijah you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So what in the world happened here? I mean, why would someone, this great prophet Elijah, uh, strong in his faith, uh, bold in his faith, how could he go from so many mountains, mountain after mountain, to do such incredible things for God, to being under a tree wanting to die? I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, I think about that all the time. Like, how is that possible? How can you be up here and be so filled with the Holy Spirit, so engulfed with God's love, so on fire for God, just drenched in prayer and authority that God has given you, and then all of a sudden just be at the lowest point? I mean, just think about Elijah. He's begging God to kill him. I I want to make sure you understand the depths of this despair and where he was at. I mean, this is... This is incredible, really, to read and to watch and to see. So I started thinking to myself, why? Why, why, did, why did this happen? And really, I think it's the same exact reason it happens to us. It's the same reason when we find ourselves in despair and depression, when we're afraid or maybe lonely and we're in a, at a time where we're maybe doubting ourselves, maybe wanting to feel sorry for ourselves. You know, everybody likes to kind of feel sorry for themselves at times. You know, when we're in that moment, I think first and foremost, we lose perspective. And when we lose perspective, we forget things. It's easy to forget things. And I think that what happened here with Elijah is he forgot some things. In particular, I think he forgot three things. The first and foremost, he forgot that God never changes. He forgot that God never changes. That same God that was feeding him by the ravens in that brook and was giving him water. It's the same God that was answering his needs here. That brought him that delicious cake. It's the same God. That God didn't change. But I, there's something about it though, isn't there? About being in a valley that makes you just forget that. I mean, I know like there was a long period of time in my life where I felt like I was just under attack by Satan. And I can just remember like, and that's when this spoke so much to me, this passage, I can just remember so vividly having just really good times and then just really bad times. And I just kind of kept beating myself up, honestly, as I got deeper into this and it lasted for year after year after year after year. I started thinking to myself, man, are you just stupid or what? How, I mean, how do you forget so easily So easily when times are tough and you're in that valley, how do you forget so easily all that God had done in the past? But it's just so easy to lose that perspective, isn't it? 
and to forget those things. You know, Aaron and I had the privilege this last week, one of the things that we love to do each year is we got to go spend time with Children's Hunger Fund at one of their events in, in California. And one of the things I love about those events is I get to hear Dave Phillips always tell incredible stories that are generally great stories of God's uh, blessing and our faith stories. So they, they, they really kind of energize you. And one of the stories he told this time that I had never heard, I thought I'd heard them all, but I'd never heard this story. And he was talking about how years and years ago, 15 plus years ago, they were trying to enter into the country of Indonesia. And Indonesia, if you know it, is a heavily Muslim country. In fact, of all the travels I've, I've done across this world, as many times as I've been to the east and west coast of Saudi Arabia, to Kuwait, to Cairo, Egypt, all over the world, the one place that I've really felt unsafe was Jakarta, Indonesia. It's just a tough place. And uh, they told this story of how they met a pastor there that had introduced them to a bunch of churches, Christian churches, and they had started shipping aid into Indonesia. And they shipped a bunch of containers, and then all of a sudden, those containers, the government stopped letting them go through. But because it takes so long to send them over there, they just didn't want to stop because they were afraid that if they had started something, they couldn't finish it, and that would be even worse. So they kept just sending these containers over there. And then month after month, week after week, they just kept getting backed up in customs. And this is back when the ministry was kind of small. So they were just, all of a sudden, Dave was thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You know, I could really literally bankrupt the ministry because we've got so many containers of goods that are just sitting in customs in Indonesia that we can't get through, and it's just going to ruin. So they were distraught. I mean, they had hit a valley. They were worried. They thought this could be the end of the ministry, and they started just praying. That's the only thing they needed to do was pray. And this was in 2004. And if you'll remember, in Christmas of 2004, there was a great tsunami and that tsunami killed over 200,000 people across that region, including dramatically impacting Indonesia. And guess what happens as soon as the tsunami hits? All of that aid that had been stored up, that God had stored up in that customs holding, now all of a sudden the government released out to the people that needed it the most. And now you had a bunch of Christians flooding that region helping hand out aid that had been sitting there. I mean, what a great story, isn't it, of God orchestrating that event? And all it reminds me of, though, is again, is that God doesn't change. I think that's one of the things that they learned through that entire experience is that that same God that was orchestrating it before, just because we were worried about what was happening, that God is still the same God. And I think that's one of the things that Elijah forgot. I think that's also a great story that would bring me to my second point, which is, is, is that, that God, not only does he never change, God's all-powerful. God can do anything. Nothing is impossible for God. And I think that's another thing that Elijah just forgot about. I mean, in fact, when, when Dave was talking about that story, he suggested even that maybe God orchestrated that tsunami for exactly what happened. For exactly what happened. I mean, it would take me a long time to unpack that. But I know that just in looking at this text, the same God that brought down that fire that consumed the water from around that trough is the same one that it says here that by the wind broke the mountain into pieces. 
It's still the same God. And in fact, you know, what's really kind of interesting and disappointing is that, that, you know, Elijah knows this, right? I mean, one of the great things that we love about Elijah that James talked about in James 5 is that this guy prayed bold prayers for God-sized miracles. And God always, always, always showed up. But for some reason, again, when we get in those valleys, when we're in the middle of that storm, we somehow forget this. I mean, we just kind of get to the point where we lose you know, our perspective and we thought, start thinking everything's going to be bad. It's just not going to get better. Everything's going to be bad. I've been there. I've thought that way. Oh, this is never going to get better. It's just never going to get better. I forgot about it. I forgot that God can do everything and anything. Or even maybe worse, we start thinking it's about us. You know, sometimes you just, you get in that moment and you start thinking, well, how can I fix it? What can I do? It's got to be about me, right? Well, it's never about you, especially in those moments. You've heard me say it a million times that, you know, the tragedy, disaster, the valleys, if you will, this, they actually begin where you end. I mean, that's the, almost by definition, because if you could fix it, you probably wouldn't be there, right? So they, they begin where you end. We, we can't fix it. And one of my favorite psalms is, is Psalm 18. And in that psalm is the one where, where David says, God is my rock and my refuge. But in that psalm, he's in a very, very deep valley. And in there it says that the cords of death encompass me. I'm wrapped in death. But God reaches down and pulls me from the waters, rescues me from my enemies, rescues me from those who hate me. And then why he says this? Because they were too mighty for me. They were beyond me. King David, I, they're too mighty for me. I can't handle the situation. I can't handle the valley on my own. I can't solve the problems. The storm is too mighty for me. That's what David said. And you know what? In our storms and, and in our valleys, that's going to be often the case. But let me tell you, that's when you're going to gain the most strength, right? It's when you can turn that over to God. But he forgot that. I mean, he, you know, if all people that should know that, it would be Elijah. He knows the power of God. It was just a few days earlier that he prayed and called down fire from heaven. What in the world is he afraid of? He, he's, he's lost his perspective. He's forgot that God can do anything, that he's all-powerful. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the last thing I think that he forgot that I think we all have to remember when we're in those moments and in those valleys and, and in the middle of the storm is that, that God cares about us and that he cared about Elijah. I mean, I think there is significance in the fact that it takes you through and it says when God came to him and said, come out to, to, to hear from me. And he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in what? The whisper. And I think there's significance in that. I think this is God reminding him that I'm here for you. I mean, it's almost like God is just wanting to say, listen, I, I can do all of this. I can bring down fire. I can destroy this mountain, turn it into rocks and pebbles by my, just by the wind, the mighty wind. I control all of this. But hear me. I love you. I care about you. What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? You ask him twice. Why are you here? What are you doing? Don't you remember that I love you, that I care for you, that I'm here for you, that I've got a plan for you? 
that I've got a plan for your life. And he did have a plan for his life. In fact, that's what he told him at the end of the chapter to go do. You need to go anoint kings. One of those kings that he anointed actually is the one that defeated Ahab. Helped begin turning Israel back to God. He had work to do. He had a plan for his life. God always has a plan for us. Even in those valleys, he's got a plan for us. He never stops loving us. He never stops talking to us. Today, he talks through through God's word, through his messengers, through prayer. And he never, ever leaves us alone. You know, one of the things I love that he reminded him of here at the end is, is this remnant, right? I mean, he's feeling sorry for himself and he's feeling like it's just all by himself. I've got nobody around me. And what does God do? He reminds him, no, that's not true. There's a remnant. There's 7,000 other believers that, that fear me greatly that are there. You know, but Satan has a way, doesn't he, of distorting that view, making you feel isolated and alone. You know, this remnant, Paul talked about it over in Romans 11, talked about Elijah. He said, you remember when Elijah was alone and felt like he had no one else that was in the fight with him and God reminded him that there's a remnant? Well, Paul uses that to say and to remind them of his day that there's a remnant then too. And there's a remnant today. Sometimes when we feel alone, and that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants to distort our view, alter our our reality, if you will, of who we are in Christ, confuse us, you know, but we got to battle against that. We got to remember who God is, you know, be encouraged. I, one of my, one of my favorite passages, and I'll kind of end with this, is in 1 Peter 5, and it's talking about this time, and it's, you know, 1 Peter is an encouraging book of the Bible that Apostle Peter wrote, and I think he's talking about this, and Verse 7 there, and you're going to be familiar with these verses. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Remember, be sober-minded. Remember who God is. Remember how powerful God is. Remember that God never changes. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to confuse you, especially in those valleys. Especially in those valleys when he knows you're the most vulnerable. Satan is going to attack. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's like Peter is just, he's telling us, don't lose perspective. In the end, remember this, we win. Don't forget that God cares about you. Satan's going to try to destroy you. He's going to distort your view of reality. He's going to confuse you. He's going he's to depress you and cause fear and anxiety. I mean, he's got himself wrapped all around Elijah under this tree. He's not thinking straight. He's just not remembering things. He's forgot the things that matters. He's forgot what God has done for him. He's forgot that God can do anything. Jesus himself said nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. But Elijah has forgot that. And I think we do the same thing. I know I do. When I get in those tough times and those valleys and those storms, you know, and I start just getting isolated in my thoughts and I forget who God is and what he does and what he does for me and that he cares for me. 
Um, like I told you, that story, this whole story of Elijah was very important to me as I was going through this roller coaster, and I still battle it even today. But when I read this and when I understood that someone like Elijah could go through the same thing, that could go through what I was experiencing, and that God in that moment would reach down the way he did through his angel, would feed him, with, give him food, and, and would nourish his body and that would love him and speak to him and care for him and encourage him. You know, I still go through those times. I still battle with that. But I will tell you today, I hope that I'm getting better at doing it with just a different vision of who God really is uh, in my life. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for your word, God, for just uh, the example, God, the way you speak to us through each and every text. Uh, God, I... I know in my own life, I, I go through um, mountaintop experiences and valleys and find myself in storms uh, more often than I would like. And I know, God, that each person in here, Lord, has uh, their own story and their own valleys and their own storms. And, uh, God, it's in those times that it can be very, very difficult uh, that Satan uses those opportunities to confuse us, to, uh, to distort our reality, Lord, and we lose perspective as to who you are, God. And, but I just pray, God, that we would all be encouraged, Lord, that, uh, that you're a God that loves us, that you're a God that never changes, uh, and God, you're a God that can do anything. Uh, Lord, that you've loved us enough to send your son to die for us and that we are clothed in his righteousness and that, Lord, uh, one day we will be with you and that this world is just temporary, so we win in the end. Uh, God, let's give us a great perspective, Lord, when we find ourselves in the middle of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen.